Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. So I'd like to join Mark in saying Happy Mother's Day. We are very grateful for the gift of life and the parts that our mothers played in giving us that gift. Now we do recognize that all the way back to Eve, there has never yet been a perfect mother. And uh, with just one exception, since then, there's never been a perfect child either. But we are grateful that that one perfect child grew to be a man who would go to the cross to bear the penalty for our sins so that all of the imperfect mothers and all of the imperfect children in the world could be redeemed and reconciled to God through faith in him. And so, uh, happy Mother's Day. May all of us rejoice in the gift of life from our mothers and the gift of new life through Jesus Christ. Now, as we are on this Mother's Day, uh, the title of my sermon this morning is 10 Men. And uh, that timing can seem somewhat unfortunate. And so I thought that I would at least introduce the message with a story of a mother. And uh, this mother happened to be my aunt. And when I was a child, I, uh, one of my aunts seemed to know absolutely everyone in the Holland Zealand area. For example, if I was riding my bike and I got a flat tire, I might say to my aunt, uh, got a flat tire on my bike. My aunt would say, oh, where was that? And I'd say, well, it was on Pine Street, just uh, north of Central. And she'd say, Pine Street, just north of Central. Why, that's where John Doe lives. And uh, his, his wife, Jane, uh, her dad, um, Fred Smith, he lives on Central Avenue in Holland. He used to work for Heinz until he retired in 1974. And uh, his mom is uh, Ethel Jones. She lives on 96th Avenue in Borculo. And uh, then she would proceed to tell me about uh, all of John Doe's relatives, friends, coworkers, classmates in high school, um, until she had covered pretty much everybody in the Holland, Zealand area. And uh, at the time, in the ignorance of my youth, I found that incredibly boring because I did not know almost everyone that she was talking about. And so their names meant absolutely nothing to me. 
But to my aunt, they were living, breathing human beings that she was personally acquainted with and uh, whom she evidently knew everything about. Um, so so they, they were very interesting to her because she knew them. And I had a similar experience as I came to the passage that we're looking at this morning because in this passage, uh, Paul is mentioning all these names and the first time I read through this passage, I really didn't know very much about these guys uh, for the most part. Um, I had heard of some of them before and uh, some of them, they really only heard about them when I read this passage. And uh, so they, their names really didn't mean anything to me and it was a little bit dry. And, and then I started uh, looking into the lives of these 10 men that are mentioned in this passage. And I found out that they had some really interesting things happen to them that the Bible tells us about. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I'd like to just introduce these 10 men to you so that you can know them better so that hopefully as you're looking at this passage, it will take on a new life for you as you kind of know the background of some of the people that are involved in this passage. The passage is Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Please open to that passage in your Bibles. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18 is found on page 1045 in the Pew Bible. And uh, if you are able, I would invite you to stand together for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18 says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. 
Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, pray you would guide my words. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the hearts of those who hear, that they would receive your truth, and that it would help make them more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. So the first person that Paul mentions in this particular passage under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is Tychicus. And so in verses seven and eight, it says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now we, in the Bible, are first introduced to Tychicus in Acts 20, verse 4, because there he was accompanying the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. And at that particular point, they happened to be leaving Greece and heading for Troas because there was a plot to kill Paul. And so the situation is kind of uh, Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, says, um, uh, we were fleeing from Greece to Troas, and uh, Tychicus was with us. And that's our first introduction to him. So Paul's uh, fleeing for his life, and Tychicus is along. And so it's kind of a dramatic introduction to Tychicus, uh, an introduction to him in a dramatic situation. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, we find out that Tychicus is one of Paul's busiest messengers. And so uh, in Ephesians 6.21, we find out that Tychicus is being sent as Paul's messenger to Ephesus. In uh, Colossians 4.7 here, we find out that he's being sent as Paul's messenger to Colossae. In 2 Timothy 4.12, we find him being sent back to Ephesus again. And in Titus 3.12, Paul is thinking about sending him to Crete. Uh, By the way, from Acts 20 verse 4, we also know that Tychicus was originally from Asia Minor, which is the area that is now covered by the country of Turkey. And we also know that he was probably a Jew because as we saw here in Colossians 4.11, as he's talking about the ones he's named previously, he said, uh, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. And so that means that those that he mentioned before verse 11 were Jews and those that he'll mention after verse 11 are Gentiles. Now the next person that Paul mentions in this passage is Onesimus, In verse nine, he says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Now you may remember that Pastor Jeremy mentioned Onesimus recently as he was working his way through the book of Colossians because when he got to the part of Colossians that was talking about masters and slaves, 
Uh, he mentioned Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. And um, we will actually be studying Onesimus extensively in Sunday school this morning uh, as we talk about the book of Philemon. And so Onesimus was a slave who belonged to Philemon. And uh, evidently they were both from Colossae since uh, in verse nine he says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So evidently Onesimus and Philemon were from Colossae. And uh, what had happened that we'll find out about in the book of Philemon is that uh, before Onesimus was a follower of Jesus Christ, as he was a slave to Philemon, he decided he didn't want to be the slave to Philemon anymore. And so he evidently stole something from Philemon and he ran away. And eventually he somehow found his way to the city of Rome. And in the city of Rome, somehow or another, he ended up in the same place as the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Onesimus, and Onesimus came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then Onesimus and the Apostle Paul wanted to make things right with Onesimus' master Philemon. And that's what the book of Philemon is about that we'll be studying during the Sunday school hour. Now, by the way, remember that uh, this is occurring before verse 11 in uh, Colossians chapter four. So Onesimus is also a Jew. So he's a Jewish slave of Philemon. Third person mentioned in the passage. In the first part of verse 10, we get introduced to Aristarchus. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now, Aristarchus really had some tough times. So we first get introduced to Aristarchus in Acts chapter 19, and uh, he is with Paul in Ephesus. And Paul is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus, and many people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So many people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in Ephesus that the local silversmiths that make idols and sell them notice a downturn in their business. And so Demetrius, who is one of the silversmiths, says to the other silversmiths, we've got to get rid of this Paul guy because he's cutting into our bottom line. And so uh, Demetrius and the other silversmiths organize a riot. They get a great crowd of people together and they're all shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. She's their uh, local goddess that they have a temple for in Ephesus. And uh, they're saying that, hey, uh, the Apostle Paul is dissing Diana, which 
He was. He was saying she wasn't a true goddess, that there's only one God, and uh, he exists from all eternity as three persons, and his son, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us, and we need to put our faith in him. And so, um, so they started this riot. They're looking around for the Apostle Paul because they want to do away with him, and they can't find him. And so they find Aristarchus instead. And they grab Aristarchus, and they drag him to the local amphitheater, and they're getting ready to do a little bit of mob justice on Aristarchus. And fortunately for Aristarchus, the city clerk comes into the amphitheater and says, look, you know, we can't have a riot here. This is gonna get us in trouble with the Roman authorities. They like everything peaceful and quiet, and so we need to disperse. And so the city clerk managed to save Aristarchus's life before the mob lynched him. So Aristarchus has a really close call in Ephesus, and not too long after that, he accompanies the apostle Paul to the city of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's a riot. This time, Paul gets arrested, and uh, through a rather long series of events, he ultimately ends up appealing to Caesar. And that was a procedure whereby a Roman citizen who was on trial could say, hey, I'm not getting a fair trial. I want Caesar to determine the outcome of my case. And so because the Apostle Paul had appealed to Caesar, because the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, uh, he was put on a boat to go to Rome so that Caesar could hear his case. And Aristarchus then was on the boat with the Apostle Paul, traveling with him. Well, as they're on their way to Rome, the ship gets in a storm. And they are stuck in that storm for two whole weeks. And the storm is so bad that everyone figures out there's no way we're going to survive. And they throw pretty much everything overboard to try to lighten the ship because they're taking in so much water, it's getting low in the water, and so they're throwing all kinds of stuff overboard. And... uh, Finally, they see this island up ahead and they end up running aground before they get to the island. And the waves are breaking the ship into pieces. And it's, by the way, it's during winter, so it's really cold out. And uh, by God's grace, uh, everyone that's on the ship somehow makes it to shore alive. Those who could swim, swam to shore and those who couldn't swim, they grabbed pieces of wreckage and the wind blew the wreckage into shore and they made it to shore that way. And so Aristarchus survived a shipwreck with the Apostle Paul. And uh, they are on the island of Malta and uh, they get eventually another ship from Malta and they get to Rome and uh, What happens to Aristarchus when he gets to Rome? Well, we see in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. 
And so Aristarchus, who has faithfully accompanied Paul to Rome and had a shipwreck on the way, when he gets to Rome, he gets arrested and thrown into prison as well as Paul. And so he had a rather tough time of it. So when you see Aristarchus' name, it's like, wow, I'm glad I'm not Aristarchus. By the way, if you're interested, Acts 19.29 tells us he's originally from Macedonia. And of course, we know from Colossians 3.11 that he is also a Jew. Well, the fourth person we come to is Mark. He's mentioned in the second part of verse 10. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, our first introduction to Mark in the Bible is actually kind of embarrassing. You see, Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52 tells us about a young man who is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, this is probably actually an autobiographical reference to Mark, who later on writes the Gospel of Mark. He's telling you about an embarrassing incident that happened to him. And uh, it was late at night, and Mark was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was wearing a linen cloth. And so what I think happened here is Mark snuck out at night wearing his pajamas and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Mark is there in the Garden of Gethsemane in his pajamas, and soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And uh, one of the soldiers tries to grab Mark. And he reaches out and he gets the linen cloth. And Mark gets away without the linen cloth. And so Mark has to run home from the Garden of Gethsemane naked. And this is our first introduction to Mark in the Bible. Well, later on, King Herod Agrippa started to persecute the church, and he had James killed, the Apostle James, and Herod had Peter arrested and thrown in prison, put him on death row. And it was the night before Peter's supposed to be executed. And so the Christians get together, and they're having a prayer meeting so that Peter might be released from prison. And um, that prayer meeting was at Mark's mother's house. And so the fact that it's referred to as Mark's mother's house probably tells us that Mark's dad had passed away sometime prior to that. And uh, that may explain why Mark was running around at night in his pajamas. So um, his mom maybe was having a little bit of trouble keeping a handle on the young man. And uh, he was running around doing some stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. And uh, so anyway, uh, they're having this prayer meeting at Mark's mom's house that Peter will be released. And um, well, actually, we don't know that they were praying that he would be released because um, as we'll see later, uh, God sends an angel and he releases Peter from prison and Peter, Peter goes to Mark's mom's house and he's knocking at the door and they won't let him in because they don't believe he's been released from prison. 
And so maybe they were just praying, uh, you know, Lord, help the sword not to hurt too much when they kill Peter uh, because they didn't believe uh, that God had released him from prison. But anyway, the Christians in Antioch shortly after this heard that there was going to be a famine coming. And so they sent a gift up to the Christians in Jerusalem and they sent the gift uh, with Barnabas and Paul. And so after Barnabas and Paul delivered that gift and they got ready to go back to Antioch, then Mark went along with them. And I think this may be related to the fact that mom was having a hard time keeping a handle on the young man. And so she sent them with his older cousin Barnabas, hoping that Barnabas might have a good influence on young Mark, who was getting into trouble. And so then God called Barnabas and Paul to go out as missionaries, and they left on their first missionary journey, and Mark went along, and uh, the going got tough. And Mark said, I've had enough. And he abandoned them and ran home to Jerusalem to mommy. And uh, later on, Barnabas and Paul were getting ready for their second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to take Mark along again. And the apostle Paul said, absolutely not. There is no way that we're going to take that guy with us again. We took him with us last time, and he just jumped ship. We're not going to take him along again. And Barnabas said, oh, yes, we are going to take him along. He's my cousin, and uh, I need to have a good influence on him. And, and uh, Barnabas and Paul got into such a bad argument about the subject that it broke up the Barnabas and Paul missionary team. And so Barnabas and Mark headed for Cyprus, and Paul and Silas headed for Syria and Cilicia, and they didn't work together anymore. Now, it was probably easier for Barnabas to forgive Mark than it was for Paul because, uh, as we know from the passage we read in Colossians, um, Barnabas was Mark's cousin. And so, you know, blood is thicker than water. And so uh, he said, well, you know, he's family. Uh, We've got to put up with some of the dumb things he does. And so uh, Barnabas took him with him. But Paul eventually came to realize that he had been too hard on Mark because Mark had learned his lesson. He had turned his life around uh, and he was doing what God wanted him to do. And so we saw here in Colossians 4.10 that uh, Paul says to the Colossians, hey, you need to welcome Mark when he comes. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, that Mark is profitable to him. And so he gets to the point where he goes from saying, hey, I don't even want this guy to be with us, to saying, hey, this guy is a big help. And then in the book of Philemon, as he's writing to Philemon, Paul identifies Mark as a fellow laborer. And Peter also came to appreciate Mark very much. In 1 Peter 5.13, Peter calls Mark his own son. 
And I don't know if this means that Peter had the privilege of leading Mark to faith in Jesus Christ or if they just became so uh, closely associated in their work that Mark was like a son to him. But later on, it was Mark who wrote down Peter's account of the life of Jesus Christ. And that account is the Gospel of Mark that we have in our Bibles today. Well, the fifth person that's mentioned in Colossians 4 is Jesus, who is also called Justice, in verse 11. He says, And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved a comfort to me. Now, this is absolutely the only time that Jesus, also known as Justice, is mentioned in the Bible. And so everything we know about him is here in verse 11. We know he was a fellow worker of Paul. We know he was a Jew. We know that his Hebrew first name was the same as the first name of our Savior and that his Greek first name was Justice. And so there you have absolutely everything we know about him. Sixth person that's mentioned in this passage is Epaphras in verses 12 and 13. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. And so in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 23, Epaphras is mentioned as a fellow prisoner of Paul. And so Epaphras and Paul and Aristarchus were all in prison together in Rome when the book of Colossians was written. And from Colossians 4.12, we know he was from Colossae because it says Epaphras, who is one of you. And so he's a Colossians. And we know that he prayed fervently for the Christians in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And uh, we also know that he was a Gentile since he is mentioned after verse 11 in Colossians 4. Well, the seventh person mentioned in Colossians 4, the seventh man mentioned here, is Luke. And so the first part of Verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in the Bible. And those two books alone make up roughly 27.5% of the New Testament. And we know from Colossians 4.11 that Luke is a Gentile. And so Luke and Acts are the only two books in the Bible that we know to be written by a Gentile. And uh, we know from verse 14 here that he is a doctor. Now Luke accompanied Paul on many journeys. And so when he is writing the book of Acts, in the early part of the book of Acts, he writes everything in the third person. He says he did this and they did that. And then uh, there comes a time in the book of Acts where he talks about we did this and this happened to us. 
And that's because those are the parts of the book of Acts where Luke is actually along and uh, involved in the action that's going on. And so we are first introduced to Luke in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16 and verse 10. And you don't have to turn there, but I'd like to read it for you just uh, so you can get a sense of how this works. It says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so what happened is Paul was in Troas. He had been working in Asia Minor, which is, of course, where Turkey is today. And he'd been kind of working along the southern area of Asia Minor, and he'd been gradually working his way westward. And he kept wanting to go north, and for some reason the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go into the northern part of Asia Minor. And eventually he had worked his way all the way west in Asia Minor as far as he could, and he's on the west coast of Asia Minor in the city of Troas. And it's kind of like, well, where do I go now? And that night then Paul, or God sent Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, please come and help us. And so that's when Paul has the vision and Luke says, so we concluded that God wanted us to go to Macedonia. And so they uh, went to uh, Macedonia and the major city in that part of Macedonia that they went to was Philippi. And as they were in Philippi ministering, there was a demon-possessed girl. And this demon-possessed girl, the demon enabled her to tell fortunes. She was a slave girl. And as she was telling fortunes using the power of this demon, then her masters were making a lot of money off of her fortune-telling. And uh, the demon inside of the slave girl uh, was troubled by the presence of the Apostle Paul. And so this slave girl started following the Apostle Paul around, shouting and making a big scene and disrupting things. And finally, Paul turned around and he cast the demon out of the slave girl. Well, the owners of the slave girl got pretty upset because she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. And so they were out of the profit that they were receiving from her fortune telling. And so they, by the way, um, Luke said, Acts 16.10, that the slave girl, the demonized slave girl, followed Paul and us. And so it's not just the slave girl is following Paul around, but Luke's with Paul, and there that slave girl is bothering Luke as well. So the owners of the slave girl were really upset, and so they dragged Paul and Silas to the local governing authorities and uh, had them thrown in jail. And as they are in jail, they were beaten first, uh, and they're put in jail, and their feet are put in stocks. So they're not only locked in a jail cell, but their feet are locked into this great big railroad tie uh, so they can't get away. And uh, so they're sitting there, and it's midnight, and in that situation, I'd be crying, 
Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns. And uh, as they're doing that, God sends an earthquake and the jail is shaken and all the doors are open and all of the chains and the stocks and the other um, things that hold people uh, fall off. The jailer wakes up and he sees that all the doors are open and he says, oh no, all the prisoners are escaped and he pulls out his sword and he's gonna kill himself and Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer came in and he fell at the feet of Paul and Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so the jailer took Paul and Silas uh, to his house and he cleaned up all the uh, abrasions on their back and the bruises where they'd been beaten. And Paul and Silas shared the gospel with him and his family and all of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. And um, as these things are being as Luke is writing about these things that happened in Philippi, these aren't things that he heard someone tell a story about that their friend's second cousin's brother had told him. These were things that Luke had actually been there when they happened. And so he's giving eyewitness testimony or firsthand testimony to the things that occurred. Well then, um, as he continues to accompany the Apostle Paul, uh, they eventually end up back in Troas. And as they are getting ready to leave Troas, Paul is preaching, and he got long-winded. He preached all night long. And uh, they were up on the second floor and there was one young man who was sitting in the window frame and he fell asleep. And he fell out of the window, fell to the ground and died. And Paul went down, raised him from the dead, finished his sermon and left town the next day. And uh, Luke was there for that as well. And so then in Acts 20 and 21, he travels with Paul to Jerusalem. And in Acts 27, after Paul's arrest, he's on that same voyage to Rome that Aristarchus was on. And uh, so Luke is on the ship in that storm. And uh, when they are throwing the everything overboard, Luke is actually helping to throw stuff overboard. He says, uh, we with our own hands threw the stuff overboard. So Luke's not just watching the sailors throw stuff overboard. Luke is actually helping to throw all the stuff overboard while they're in this terrible storm. And then when the ship runs aground, he's one of the people that gets to make their way through the terrible icy water to shore on the island of Malta. Once they get ashore, it's raining and it's cold and they just got out of the icy ocean. And so uh, some of the local people that came down to help them built the fire and uh, Paul is gathering fuel for the fire and as he's throwing the fuel onto the fire, 
a snake comes out of the fuel and bites him, and it's a venomous snake, and all the people from Malta look and say, ah, he's gonna die. He must be a murderer or something, and justice is gonna get him. He made it through the shipwreck, but that snake's gonna get him. And then when Paul didn't die, all the locals were really impressed. They said, we've never seen someone get bit by this snake and not die, so uh, this guy's gotta be someone special. And then the main guy that lived in that area, he provided hospitality for the people that had been in the shipwreck. And uh, his dad was sick. He had dysentery real bad. It looked like he was gonna die. And Paul healed that guy's dad. And so all the other people on the island said, hey, he healed uh, this guy's dad. You got anybody sick in your house? Everybody brought all the sick people around in the area to Paul. He healed them all. And uh, then they headed on to Rome. And uh, as Paul then is in prison in Rome awaiting his hearing with Caesar, he's writing the book of Colossians and Luke is still with him. Well, the eighth person in Colossians 4 is Demas. He's the second part of verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Not every story has a happy ending. And the story of Demas is one of those stories that doesn't have a happy ending. And so he's with Paul when Colossians is written, and he's with Paul when Philemon is written. But by the time Paul writes 2 Timothy, Demas had run away. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. And so Demas goes down in history as Demas the deserter. Well, the last person then that we're going to look at here, oh no, two more. Uh, ninth person, Colossians 4, verse 15, is Nymphus. It says, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. And Nymphus uh, is only mentioned in this verse in Colossians. He's not mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. It does tell us that a church met in his house. Through many times throughout church history and in many places, churches have met in homes. Um, If a church is small enough, it fits into a home very well. And if you're in a place where persecution is common, it's one of the more inconspicuous places that you can gather with other Christians where people can't really see um, what's going on there and so that you can worship the Lord free from persecution relatively if some spy doesn't come in and rat you out. And so um, uh, homes have been used a lot uh, for worship. And that applies also to the last person that's mentioned here in Colossians 4, Archippus in verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Uh, Philemon 1-2 tells us that Archippus was also host 
to a church. And uh, Philemon uh, was in Colossae, so it's the same place that Colossians was written to. And so evidently this archippus was host of the church in Colossae. He was the guy in whose home they were meeting. But uh, from 417 here, we see that he's not only hosting them, but he's likely one of the leaders of the church. It says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And so it seems that Archippus was not only hosting the Colossian church, but that he was also one of the pastors for the Colossian church. And so that means that uh, Archippus is uh, Onesimus's and Philemon's and Epaphras's pastor. Now, Christy and I have some experience uh, hosting a house church and also pastoring a house church because for a while, a fairly significant amount of time while we were in Norway, uh, the Lorenskog Baptist Church met in our home. And having a church meet in your home and pastoring in particular a church meeting in your home has its own set of hazards. Uh, For example, we're meeting in the living room and uh, one of our children, who will remain nameless, um, made it a habit to sit on the sofa every Sunday as we gathered for worship. And uh, that child would get comfortable, and then that child would fall asleep. And that child had rather large tonsils, and so that child would snore quite loudly during the service. It's extremely difficult to communicate a serious point in the Bible when one in the congregation is snoring very loudly and everyone else is laughing at that person. And so uh, I'm sure Archippus knew all about this as uh, he was pastoring a house church as well. Well, I hope that now that you know these 10 men better, that as you come to this passage in Colossians, uh, it will be somewhat more interesting than it might have been the first time that you took a look at it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our brothers and sisters who have come before us. We're not some kind of cardboard cutouts. They were real people just like we are. And they had their own struggles and their own challenges. Thank you for the things you showed us about them in Scripture so that we can get to know them a little bit better. And Lord, as we look at their lives, may we learn from their struggles and from their failures and from their successes. And may it help us as we seek to follow you as well. I pray 
in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.